This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hi, everybody. The Hockey News Podcast is back. It's Matt Larkin here with Ken Campbell and Ryan Kennedy. We're getting a little bit deeper into the NHL season now. We're starting to get a better idea of who every team is. And we know the Nashville Predators. We know who they are. They're a great team. But now they're a great team missing their starting goaltender. Vezina Trophy winner Pekka Rene hits the IR. The injury timeline is murky. But we do know UC Soros, the backup, one of the best in the NHL, was signed to an extension last year. And our hot topic is all about Soros and Rene because Soros has a golden opportunity here. Okay, we know that he's been signed. Rene is an unrestricted free agent this summer. And maybe this is a blessing in disguise for the Nashville Predators because they get an extended look at Soros before the summer. What do you think? Absolutely. I, I really do think it is because, you know, you've got a goaltender here who has proved in, in sort of small sample sizes that he it can be, uh, he has the ability to be an elite goalie. I mean, he's got a, he's played, I think he's started three games this year, played, played in four, has a 945 save percentage. Those are elite type numbers but what we don't know about Yuri Saros is UC Saros sorry is is can he do it day in day out long term and carry on the load of being a number one goaltender and we're going to find that out and I think that this is the perfect time for the Nashville Predators to find that out uh a because it's early in the season they can make adjustments if they have to and b I mean UC Saros for this team the goaltending just has to be good it doesn't have to be great. I mean, they're already the best defensive team in the league. They're already, they're probably the best team in the league right now, uh, top to bottom. So he doesn't have to be great. He just has to be good, and he has to be good for an extended period of time. Yeah, and this is the big acid test because, you know, Saros is one of the shortest goaltenders in the NHL. So for him to be able to prove long-term that he can be a viable option, I think is crucial. You know, if, if he can show that he can be more like a Jonathan Quick, then he's never going to be a Ben Bishop. He doesn't have that kind of height. Same with, you know, Pekka Rene being very tall. You know, Saros needs to establish that he can be quick in the net, that he can be athletic, and that he can get those wins because you're, you know, you're right, Matt. Um, you know, Rene's not going to be there forever. And Nashville, they have designs on the Stanley Cup once again. If Rene should falter, if he should get hurt again at the end of the season, you need Saros to be that guy. And when you get to those seven-game series in the West... You can't just be good. You have to be great. Yeah. So let's find out now before you have to figure out the long term. So UC Soros, you've got to score one for the short guys. We are counting on there you. There you go. All of us. Well, I mean, I guess not right, but yeah, Ken and I are pretty short. My question now is, okay, we don't know the exact timeline of Rene's injury, but let's say it's a month-long injury or longer. Let's say that we find that out and we get an extended look at Soros and he looks really good. The Predators are in win-now mode. Rene's 36, UFA in the summer. Do you consider trading him this season in hopes of getting maybe the elusive center that they're always looking for and they probably did not get with Ryan Johansson, let's face it? Ooh. I'm not sure. I mean, he's, he's going to be nothing but a rental, obviously, a, a, a long-term rental if you trade him early in the season. But I, I don't know that he's going to command that kind of return at that age and with that contract status. And, and I think, quite frankly, you want to have, have that kind of goaltending depth. I know the playoff... Record has been spotty, but uh, you just don't like, and with, with Saros, you don't know exactly what you have in him. I think you really need that, that goaltending depth to, to really go a long way. Yeah, you need the safety blanket. Here's an idea. You play Rene at home in the playoffs, Saros on the road. It all works Ooh, out. Exactly. You sweep. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad at all. 
next up in the hot topics, we have the LA Kings and three words you never want to hear early in the season, closed door <laughs> meeting. You know that things are grim and the Kings go through a horrible stretch. They lose four straight, outscored 21 to five over that stretch. So it's a two-part question for you guys. Number one, should we be worried? Are the Kings in deep trouble in terms of being a playoff contender? And secondly, do you think that Coach John Stevens is on the chopping block already? Okay, well, the first thing I want to do is I want to find out which team in NHL history has ever had an open-door meeting. Oh. Yeah, come on yeah, in, yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah, let's go. Yeah, We're gonna yeah, yeah. It's a town More hall. ideas. Yeah. More ideas, the better. Let's, yeah. yeah. But I, I think the problem with the LA Kings is it's not their fault. The league changed. The mm -hmm. league changed on them. And that's what happens in a copycat league. Sometimes things change really, really quickly. And the LA Kings not so long ago were that big dominant Western team that could cycle the puck, that could wear you down, that could do all of those things and win championships. And then like almost like that, the league turned into a, a league where speed was at a premium and small skilled guys were guys who could be successful in this league. And it's not their fault. I mean, it's not LA's fault. They built a championship team that won two Stanley Cups. It's just that the model is outdated. So, okay, you're going to have this closed door meeting. What are they going to say? Let's skate faster, guys. Let's be faster. Like they can't do something they're not capable of doing. And this, this lineup isn't capable of playing that kind of style, which is now the style that is really predominant in the NHL. I think you're letting the Kings off the hook. I mean, it didn't become a speed league overnight. The Kings were last good and dominant five seasons ago. 2013-14, they've known for a while. This has been a team in denial for a while. And the summer before last season, I had a little bit of an, almost an argument with Drew Doughty during an interview when I was saying, do you guys need to get faster? He said, no, we have the speed. We can just play faster. I don't think it works that way. And I said in the summer, we all said, signing Ilya Kovalchuk, yes, he can score, but he's a big, heavy dude, and that's not going to fix the problem. Teams are skating circles around them. And Mike Sullivan's Penguins set the new model in 2015-16. That's three years ago. So yeah, but come on, Matt. What are you going to do? Like, what are you going to do? Are you going to trade Jeff Carter? Are you going to trade Tyler Toffoli? Are you going to trade yes. Tanner Pearson? Are you yes. going to trade Drew Doughty? Are you going to trade for some fast guys. I mean, you, well, you win two Stanley Cups. There's a certain amount, and any team's going to do it. They're going to show loyalty to those guys because they've had success with them. I don't think you can sit here and say it's the LA Kings' fault that they that they thought, okay, we've won two Cups with these guys. We've had a ton of success. Now now we're, we're going to keep them, and you're, and you're going to indict them for that? I, I don't, I'm not I, with I, you on I think one. complacency is set in with this team. They, they still carry themselves with the swagger of a Stanley Cup team when they've missed the playoffs twice since then. Yeah, and I think there's going to be a bit more of a leash for this roster and for John Stevens because Dustin Brown is out and that power play in Los Angeles has been downright fugly, if I can oh, use yeah, yeah. a yeah. non-term. <laughs> and I, I think for the Kings, I think part of them is they're saying to themselves, well, when Brownie comes back, because I'm sure that's his nickname, um, everything be will dusty. be fine. Could be dusty. Could be dusty. <laughs> Browner. Hey, Browner. Browner. Dusts. Probably not. <laughs> but, uh, you know, once he comes back, they'll say, like, okay, well, now we can get our power play in order. Things will, you know, be a little better. I, I don't think they're going to be better. I, I would agree that I think Los Angeles, as currently put together, is kind of toast. I think we're seeing it a little bit with St. Louis as well, a team that, especially without Robbie Fabry, they have to play the perfect game in order to win yeah. games. Uh, you can see it with Minnesota as well. Big team, you know, they have some speed mobility, but not even, a lot. And even a lot of their young guys like Jordan Greenway and that, they're yeah, big and slow. Yeah, you know? it's and, Matt and, Dumbo. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but yeah. there's not a lot of it. And I think 
you're right. It's it's a sea change, and for some teams, it's going to be like turning around a battleship because you've got the marquee names, you've got the big contracts, and the the truth is ugly sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or fugly, as you said. Perfect. Well <laughs> put. Uh, on the flip side of the coin, we have the Ottawa Senators starting 4-2-1, and one, and I think a lot of us thought they were going to be as bad as, I don't know, the expansion Ottawa Senators or something close to it. Absolutely. No Eric Carlson, just scorched earth rebuild situation, and here they are looking kind of decent. Do you guys believe in this start? No, but <laughs> I think it's great that Ottawa is getting these wins because you have some great young players there and you don't want them to be surrounded by losing. So even if you're not a playoff team, I think this nice start tells them how they can have success. And, you know, Brady Kachuk's on the shelf now uh, for about a month, which is too bad. But, I mean, Thomas Shabbat's been great. Max Lajoie's been great on the back end. And, you know, I, I was speaking to Kachuk early in the season, and he was saying, look, like, we know we have to work hard. We have to play fast. That's how we're going to win games. That's what they're doing. And, again, it's the flip side of those Western teams that we were talking about. I mean, sure, everybody works hard to an extent, but... If the Senators play fast, they give themselves a chance to win. They've got those young legs. There's going to be games that they lose because of mistakes, but you can deal with that. The work ethic is there, and the skating is there, and that gives them a chance on most nights. And I think that's a good thing in the short term because they are building towards something. And therein, Ryan, I think lies the key to success for the Ottawa Senators. And and I, I think you have to give a lot of credit to head coach Guy Boucher. Definitely. Um, you know, this is a team that... Uh, for the last couple of years, and I mean, they got to within one goal, overtime goal of the Stanley Cup final play in this way, but they were a team that bored you to death and did nothing and then sort of tried to sort of capitalize on your mistakes. I think you see, I think you're seeing a complete transformation of the Ottawa Senators here. They play with pace. They actify, they actify, activate. Let's, their, let's go with actify. It's, yeah, they actify. it's yeah. like Don oh, they, King inventing a new word. <laughs> yeah. They activate their defense core as, as we've seen by you know the, the kind of offense that, that uh, Thomas Shabbat and Max Lejoie are, are, and Dylan DeMello are, are providing. I, I think it helps too that Chris Tierney, Dylan DeMello and Michael Bodker are outscoring Eric Carlson and Mike Hoffman 20 to 8 wow. right now. <laughs> I think that helps. But I, I really think, and I, I, th- I think this is the case in Ottawa and I think this is the case in Montreal. And you've got two teams that have said, we've recognized what we talked about, Mm -hmm. what we've talked about. We've recognized that the game is changing. We have to push the pace. We have to, we have to pick up the pace and they've both done so. And they're both, you know, they're, they're, they're both they're both reaping the benefits of right. it. And, and I think we've seen, especially last year with Vegas, that a team not expected to do much can punch above its weight class by playing with that pace. And it happens every year. The Devils, too, last year, Colorado. Yep. And I think these young, fast teams always surprise. There's always a team that does it. I was wondering if it might be Vancouver or Buffalo, but you never know. Maybe it's going to be Ottawa or, or, or uh, uh, Montreal this year. I wonder, too, about you know a guy like Chris Tierney, who, um, you know, I mean, is producing, getting top-line minutes with really good players. He was never going to get that in San Jose. He was never going to get that opportunity in San Jose because he had Joe Pavelski and Joe Thornton ahead of him. Um, so now he's got an opportunity to produce. Maybe he's, a, maybe he's a little bit better offensively than we all thought. And now that he's getting that opportunity, he's, he's able to, to cash in on it. 
And speaking of opportunities, Fantasy Insider time, and I'm going to have to chirp my own league again. Why did you guys let me pick up Kyler Yamamoto? We've been waiting for him to get this opportunity. Ty Ratty goes in the IR. Yamamoto, we've always figured, is the right winger that can match McDavid in speed. And he's getting a golden chance, so go get Yamamoto right away. He's my number one fantasy pickup of the week, assuming UC Saros is not available. You obviously have to go get Saros if he's available. Pickup number two. This is a weird one. I feel like it's been a long time since we could call Tyler Johnson somebody that you pick up as a sleeper, but he sort of faded out of relevance the last couple seasons as Braden Point passed him on the depth chart. But right now, John Cooper in Tampa is experimenting with his lines. He's reunited the triplets. Tyler Johnson between Andre Palat and Nikita Kucherov, I think in an effort to unlock Steven Stamkos as a shooter because Stamkos, we know, is a phenomenal shooter, but playing with Kucherov, it turned him into more of a playmaker. So I think there's an experimentation there that might stick. And if Johnson is reunited with his triplets long-term, he might produce again like the guy who was formerly a 70-plus point player, so you should go get him. Uh, third pickup of the week is a guy whose name, maybe I can pronounce it right, maybe not. I've never said it out loud. It's Kevin LeBanc? LeBanc? I'm going to go with LeBanc. I believe, Matt, it is LeBanc. You think LeBanc? Uh, yes, I believe that's the way he prefers to have it pronounced. His I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I know it's take it to the yeah. bank and all that. Straight but to the bank is his Twitter handle. Right, well, exactly. There, but we I, there we go. Well, okay, but I, I still think it, the actual pronunciation, and I mean, let's be the upper class upper crust group that we are <laughs> and call him what he wants to be called and that's <laughs> Kevin Lamonts. And the thing about, about Kevin Lamonts is uh, he's one of those guys that you know physically he's not a, a dominant specimen he's about 5'11 180 pounds but he's one of those guys who just everywhere he's gone in his life he has scored. He was a huge scorer in Barry. He was a huge scorer in the AHL with the Barracuda and he's showing that he has that offensive acumen especially in today's game where you don't need to be a big titan to generate offense. He's got a great opportunity playing with Joe Pavelski and Evander Kane, so he makes for an excellent pickup. Future watch time, Ryan. I want two prospects. Go. Okay, for the 2019 draft, Raphael Lavoie from the Quebec League's Halifax Mooseheads. Big kid, he's a late birthday, you know, born in 2000, but just eligible this year. 18 points in 13 games, 11 goals, and this is a player that's been on the radar for a couple of years now. Uh, had him in future watch on the top 10 last year for this draft. And he's already six foot four. I mean, he's going to be north of 200 pounds, I'm sure, by the time he gets to the pro level. Great hands. And the skating, when he began, it was just all right, but it's getting a lot better. And you figure by the end of this season, because Halifax is hosting the Memorial Cup, we know that they're going to be playing relevant hockey for a long time. And Lavoie, he can play center, he can play right wing. He's been fantastic so far, had a highlight real goal on the weekend. I expect him to put up a lot of points because the Moosehead have so many nice weapons up front. He's really complimented there, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how high he goes. All right, and what about with the drafted guys? Who's your, who's your pick this week? Well, i got to go with Kale McCarr. Uh, the defensive prospect for the Colorado Avalanche, playing for the UMass Minutemen in Hockey East in the NCAA. Eight points in his first four games, including a huge game against number one Ohio State. The Minutemen took out the Buckeyes in the first game of a, a two-game series. Makar has just been dazzling. I mean, we always knew he had the skating, the rushing ability. He can quarterback a power play. He has shown all those skills, and I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't get Hobie Baker consideration Absolutely, as yeah. player of the year. I think you're looking at him being one of the top weapons. I think this is his last year with the Minutemen because he's just he's pro-ready. And it's good that he went back. He's going to get tons of minutes. 
but Colorado must be looking at him and saying, yes, we want you in Denver next year because we already have some great, exciting players who can move, and Makar, I think, would just be the cherry on top. And this is a kind of this is a kid who's kind of taken control over his own development, right? Like, yeah. like he's kind of been been determining where he's going to play and how he's going to how his career is going to unfold. And it's obvious he knows he knows himself pretty well. I like, mean, turned down it, the Olympic invite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, turned yeah. down the Olympic invite uh, to stay in college hockey last year, and he's he's so far has kind of you know resisted the the temptation to go pro and and to kind of uh, and to kind of you know get maybe thrown into a situation where he's not ready whereas now he's he's in a obviously in a situation where he can be a dominant player and and as you say like i mean some people are saying this guy's the best player in college hockey yeah and you know the good thing about the NCAA game is that there's a lot of time to be in the weight room and there's yeah. a lot of practice time so if you're a raw talent, and Makar, I mean, he was a high riser in his draft year, uh, playing for the Brooks Bandits in the Alberta Junior A League. So for him to come back one more year, it's more time in the weight room, and playing for a UMass program that, you know, for years had not been very good. Now he's getting, obviously, top-line minutes on the first pairing. He's got a little more help. Mario Ferraro and John Leonard, both San Jose picks are there. So the Minutemen are better this year, so he'll play in more meaningful games. I think it's just a great opportunity for him to really spread his wings and build off uh, what was a, a decent freshman year that also included a gold medal at the World Juniors for Canada. And between him and Connor Timmins, I think Colorado has a lot of reason to get excited about their, their blue line prospects. Uh, speaking of prospects, when we're talking about what's hot in the magazine right now, uh, last week we spoke of Prospects Unlimited, but a lot of our readers, they want to know what actually goes into the process of making that list. So how about the curator, Ryan Kennedy, tell us how that giant list comes together. Well, it's both fun and daunting because what we did with the top 100 is it's the best players in the world, 21 and under. So it was the 1997 birth year and then anything beyond that. So, I mean, we had kids that were... 13, 14 years old on the list this year. And the idea of melding it together, I think, is what really makes it unique, but it involves kind of different work because you can't just go to a typical NHL scout who covers, you know, say, a region like the Western League or, you know, the USHL. You have to go to guys that have seen different levels of players in the same place. So, you know, you're comparing Jack Hughes with Connor McDavid in a way, even though they've never played at the same time. So you have to say, okay, well, you know, what was player X like in the OHL versus player Y? And for me, a big part of the list too is looking at long-term upside. So for me, it's all about centers. Are you a number one center in the NHL? Do you have that capability? Then you're going to be high on the list. Can you be a number one defenseman? Then you're high on the list. Goaltenders, it's tougher because they're so hard to peg at an early age. So there are fewer goaltenders, but what I feel are guys that are kind of the surest things, the Carter Hearts, the Elia Samsonovs, the Spencer Knights. And it, like I said, it's a fun list to put together, but it involves a lot of sort of mental gymnastics of what's a player going to be like when he's in his early 20s versus now, and how can we forecast what a 14 or 15 year old might be like versus a guy in the NHL like a Patrick Lyonnais or an Austin Matthews who we already know 
is on the brink of superstar status. So that's that's the fun, and that's also the challenge. Yeah, you know what? And it's going to get harder as every year goes by because these kids are coming. There's yeah. kids that are coming, and they're coming earlier, and they are they're better than than we've ever seen. I mean, there's a 13 year old kid in in West Vancouver by the name of Connor Bedard Connor who Bedard. is tearing up. The major Bantam League, as a minor Bantam, had five hat-tricks in a row, has, I think, 33 goals in nine games. Um, you know, you've got this year in Ontario, you've got Shane Wright, and this year might be the first year that there might be two exceptional players in Ontario. That's right. Uh, Fantilli. Yeah, uh, Adam Fantilli. Adam Fantilli. Um, you know, you've got those two guys. You've got, uh, you've got Matt Savoy out west. You've got, you know, it's just th the way kids are being trained now is it's it's unbelievable and if you want to see the future of hockey everybody just go out to a rink near your house a minor hockey rink near your house and watch these kids play they are doing stuff that is special and it will amaze you yeah. you're, you're right and it reminds me of uh, during Aaron Ekblad's rookie season I was talking to him about how he arrived as this giant man child and and what he said was it's the training I knew what I needed to do to get my body ready so I spent so much time in the gym I built myself myself up into this giant man by the time I was 17 or 18 years old. So the training is really the difference. Yeah, I mean, you got people like Gary Roberts out there who want to replace all the vending machines with, like, quinoa. <laughs> Seriously, he wants to do that. I he, think my he, wife does He well. wants to do that in the arenas. And so you've got guys like Gary Roberts who have made a, a living out of this, you know, training these kids, but, like, by the time they're 11, 12, 13 years old, and then you've got them doing one-on-one one work with people like Yari Bursky, who's worked with Steven Stamkos, and, I mean, the, the list goes on and on, mm. uh, P.K. Subban, all kinds of people. I mean, these kids are getting better, and they're getting better at an earlier age than ever. Yeah, and actually, I saw Connor Bedard this summer at a camp with Connor McDavid, with Shane Wright, with Adam Fantilli. Bedard's got an NHL shot already, and yeah. he's 13 years old, yeah. so I, he's on the list. Uh, most of those guys are on the list, and uh, it's yeah, it's just gonna be fun. Those poor little goalies that have to face uh, Connor Bedard. Uh, I, I can feel right now that Ken's he's getting fired up, he's getting warmed <laughs> up, and it's good because I thought last week's hot take was hot. This week's take is so hot. You need oven mitts <laughs> just to handle it. So, Ken, you have the floor. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Connor McDavid is a $12.5 million a year player, right? Um, he's grossly underpaid. We know that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Austin Matthews, in my opinion, will become the first $16 million man in NHL history. Wow. Yeah. I, I really do think that's going to happen. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Okay, so this year the the the, uh, the cap is set at what seventy nine five. So that makes twenty percent of the cap fifteen nine. If we're going to go on the assumption that there's going to you know the PA is going to take the inflator, blah blah blah, uh, the cap's going to go up a little over eighty. Twenty percent of that is sixteen million. Why, if you're Austin Matthews right now, would you settle for anything less than sixteen million? Because unlike every other player out there, you know there's going to be an offer sheet for sixteen million dollars if the Ooh. Leafs don't sign you for that. I mean. Who better to offer sheet Austin Matthews for $16 million than the Arizona Coyotes? Whoa. Like, really, really. I mean, they don't have the money because they have no money. But they've got to spend money on some players. They've got, they, they, the floor. they potentially have the cap space. So if, if I'm at Austin Matthews and I'm thinking, yeah, if, if I don't sign with the Leafs for the max cap, Somebody's going to, and, and I still might be playing for the Leafs because it will put the Leafs in a position where they're forced to match, which they may very well do. But Austin Matthews is still going to get his money, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I just, 
I, I don't know. I, I Hockey players are strange. I mean, Connor McDavid could have had $15 million. It took 12 and a half. I don't know Austin Matthews well enough to know that whether or not he's got that mindset, but somebody's going to do it. And I think it's going to be him because he knows that unlike a lot of these other players like William Nylander and guys that are sort of second tier players, there's, there's going to be an offer sheet. If he doesn't sign with the Leafs, there is going to be an offer sheet for sure. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right. And it's tough because, you know, John Tavares took less money than he could have gotten. And the day he signed, Kyle Dubas spoke about Tavares sort of establishing this culture of doing what it takes to win, hint, hint, a.k.a. taking less money. And I thought maybe that was going to be the case. But William Nylander's situation suggests that's not the case already. If right. he's looking for $8 million, that does not bode well for Matthews and Martin. And, and he's willing to end. He's, he's not only wants $8 million, he he's willing to have some perspective and some patience on this. I mean, you know, he obviously didn't rush to sign when they scored 33 goals in their first six games, right, or seven games. They were scoring almost five goals a game, and everybody's saying, oh, my gosh, you know, Willie Nylander, boy, he's so stupid. He's taking bad advice from his father, and, boy, he's putting himself in a bad bargaining position. Well, guess what? The Leafs have scored one goal in the last two games, and now everybody's saying, wow, they really need to right. <laughs> You know, so I, I think it's – I think with, with, with these kids – you know, there's. I, I don't think that any player should have to have that responsibility of saying, "Yeah, I, I want to keep the team together. I want to keep the band together." If you can get the money and and you're worth it, then there's no problem with going for it, in my opinion. It's mailbag time, and the first question of the week is from Merrick Kernach. I hope I said it right. And Merrick says, "I know they still have a lot of work to do in the long run, but what do you think the Colorado Avalanche are capable of?" this season it's a great question because as we, we were just we were just spot, uh, speaking about kill mccarr and connor timmons i do think the abs have a very bright future this season i i don't see their ceiling super high because yes the mckinnon line with landis gong and Rantanen is dominant but they were dominant last year so right. to me they look like a very similar team probably fringe playoff maybe in the first round again but i, I don't see big big things what do you guys think well i think that that uh well first of all i think it's marek karanich Oh, can yeah. Good. So I'm I'm just I'm just running roughshod over you today. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, well, he thinks we'll see. After. <laughs> anyway, we'll check. We anyways, I, I think I think that 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 line is is better this year, and they can drive the play more. Um, I, I do worry a little bit from a Colorado perspective about their depth. I mean, Colorado has 29 goals, and that line has 17 of them right now. Um, so you do wonder if you know one or two of them get injured. Or, you know, st- people start keying in on, the, on that line. I, I'm not sure that that will make that much of a difference. But do they have the depth to be able to get them over the top? Do they have the secondary scoring? Because we've seen with Dallas, you know, we've seen with Dallas, they're a one-line team. And when that line gets shut down, they're very, very beatable. Um, so I, I'm, I'm wondering if that's not the same case, you know, in, in, uh, in Colorado. They've got some good depth at other positions. I'm not sure they have the depth at forward to be able to be an elite uh, team in the NHL. Yeah, I think they can maybe win a playoff round, depending on the matchup. If they were to get the crossover wild card, for example, and avoid Winnipeg or Nashville, yeah. uh, the two titans in the West, I think they they're scrappy enough, they're fast enough that they could maybe win a round. But I, I think that's their ceiling right now until some of their prospects come into the fold and they do a little more building. But that's fine because, I mean, Colorado, yeah. they're ahead of schedule. Yeah, Let's do, face it. And do not go out and trade one of your no. blue-chip guys like a McCarr or a Timmons to get help now so you can yeah. win a round or two in the playoffs. 
that would be, you know, it's all about the future. It's it's about the present, but it's it's really all about the future. Right. And, and Joe Sackick's offseason was very quiet, and which I think showed a lot of maturity that he is thinking about the long term and not trying to go for a quick fix. And his head's not getting big. As we saw with Ottawa when they went deeper than expected in the playoffs two years ago, it actually wrecked their future. They make the crazy Matt Duchesne trade, overconfident, and then boom, blows up the franchise. Yeah. Uh, next question is from Marcus Beasley. Marcus asks, as a fantasy hockey Sergei Bobrovsky owner, I'm concerned. Is it panic time, or will he round into form once Seth Jones returns? It's a complicated question. To me, if you're a Bobrovsky owner, then yes, there's a little bit of reason to worry because... He was bad in the playoffs last year. His contract situation is up in the air. We've seen before certain players admit later they are affected by their contract situation. We saw it with Ben Bishop in his final season in Tampa Bay. He was mentally not there. He spoke about it afterward. It did affect his game. At the same time, 876 save percentage, he's going to get better. So if you don't have Sergei Bobrovsky, then I would say go get Sergei Bobrovsky because his value will never be lower. Right. He's a great buy-low candidate. And, and too, I think, you know, I mean, Sergei Bobrovsky, I mean, this is a situation of his own making. So if he's, if he's all spooked out because it's his contract year, well, then he has no one to blame but himself because I'm sure he could have signed an extension with Columbus by now, and he has chosen not to. He's betting on himself uh, to, to raise his value. And, and you kind of like to see that in a guy, especially a guy who's had as much success as he's had. I think with, with Columbus, the, 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 the concerns are more from a team standpoint. This is a team that just can't seem to get any traction you know like they some nights they look absolutely phenomenal and then other nights they just look really really ordinary so I think you know this is a team that's still trying to find out what it is and I mean we've got we I think we pegged them to win the Metropolitan Division which this year actually might be a little easier than we all thought yep. you know the Metropolitan Division might end up being that weak sister division this yep. year um, so I mean I think from for Columbus, it's 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 a goalie thing, but I think it's a it's an all-round team thing as well. I think they're still they're they're kind of stumbling around in the dark a little bit right yeah. now. And when Seth Jones returns, obviously that will make a world of difference because he is one of the best defensemen in the NHL. And having that stability, having the ability to create more offense from the back end will help. I'll, but I'll just say this in terms of where Bobrovsky's head at head is at. He ain't coming back to Columbus. This is his right. last season. Right. They, he is not re-signing with Columbus. It's not going to happen. So he very well may be distracted. Hot take. Hot that's take. my hot. <laughs> it might be lukewarm. It's, it's a probably a pretty yeah. good take. Yeah, that's a, that's a room temperature take. Um, but that's probably in the back of his mind. Where is he going next season? Next question is from <clears throat> Kylisk16. Maybe it's Kyle Lisk. I believe it is. Probably is. Probably not someone named Kylisk. That'd be a weird name, or but a basilisk uh, named Kyle. <laughs> and Kyle asks: Since most NHL teams have an ECHL team, what do they do with them, and could they ever use the ECHL to develop young prospects? Well, in, in short, it's where they put all their bad players. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. That's what. But it is do. an affiliation. No, yes. it is an affiliation, and you know it does serve a purpose, particularly with goaltenders. Yes. There yes. have been a, a a lot of like star goaltenders who have started out in the HHL because, I mean, because it's a numbers thing. There's only so many spots. There's, you know, two on the big team, two on the AHL team. You've got to put these kids somewhere. But it's a, it's a, it is actually a good league. I mean, Alexander Burroughs played in that league. There's been a lot of guys 
who started in the East Coast League and worked their way up. Um, so it's where you see a lot of sort of diamonds in the rough. Their game might not be really too refined at the moment. They might have some skills and lacking in others. And it's a good league for that because, you know, they're, they're in a situation where they're playing a pro schedule. They're, you know, they're practicing every day. They're in a pro environment. They're, you know, sort of learning the ropes that way. So, um, I mean, it is, a, it is kind of, it's, it definitely is the, if you will, the double A league, uh, certainly not the triple A league. You don't, it's not like baseball where if you have a really good prospect, sometimes you send them to double A first um, and then up to triple A. If you've got a good prospect, he usually goes to the American Hockey League. He doesn't go to the East Coast League. Yeah. And, you know, one thing about development that people should know is that, you know, according to folks in hockey, the biggest jump is from the junior ranks to the pro ranks. It's not from the AHL to the NHL. Yep. So if you're a first-year pro player and you still need to figure out how everything works, schedules, just the amount of strength and speed you're going to play against, sometimes initially the AHL is too much, and that's okay, and that's what the ECHL is for, where it's a little bit slower than the AHL. It's not quite as skilled. You know, The defensive reads aren't quite as good. And you find your level there. And, and Ken, you're totally right. With goaltenders, especially young ones, you want them to get as many starts as possible. So just as an example, Tyler Parsons, the Calgary Flames pick, was mostly with Kansas City last year in the ECHL because the Flames already had a couple of goaltenders in the pipeline, yeah. including John Gillies. And then, you know, in a lot of cases, teams in the AHL want at least one veteran goaltender because sometimes they're going for it. Mike McKenna took the Texas Stars all the way to the Calder Cup final last year. And, you know, Dallas was very happy with that because they had other players on that Stars squad that needed experience, and you always want to get that winning uh, vibe going. So you have to find that mix in the AHL, and sometimes that means utilizing your ECHL team to make sure that your young players, particularly your goalies, are actually getting minutes. But, Kyle, let's be clear about one thing here, okay? When a player is told we're sending you to the East Coast League, it's never good news. Like, no, that's, never, that's never really a good thing. I think it's fine for a goalie. Unless you're a goalie. It's okay for you, a goalie. You might yeah. be the it's second okay. best goaltending prospect on your team because if you look at it from an NHL down level, right? So why is, oh, why is Ilya Samsonov not in the NHL? He's the best goalie prospect in the world. Or Carter Hart. Because they need to get starters minutes, yeah. and it would be useless to have them backing up their their starters in the NHL level. Well, maybe not maybe not Carter Hart. He might be an upgrade. But let's say <laughs> for Ilya Samsonov. So Samsonov needs his starters minutes. And the number two guy, same thing. It would be useless for him to be the backup give him his full workload. So you might actually be your second best goaltending prospect on your team, but it, it still serves you to be in the ECHL. So I, I don't think it's an indictment when it comes to goalies. But for everybody else, yeah, you're right, Ken. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it this week for the Hockey News Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, everybody. And if you want to learn more about the membership program, go to thehockeynews.com.